If you're uh, just joining us, we're continuing our series, There Will Be Giants, uh, more or less the life of David. Um, we're, yeah, we're doing this, uh, it's, it's kind of like, uh, kind of like the fact that, you know, David slays Goliath, but the thing is, throughout his life, there are more giants keep popping up. And today, the giant is vengeance, revenge. I, uh, I, I love a good revenge story. <laughs> I think they're fun. Um, I mean, obviously they're horrible in some ways, but they're, I don't know, there's something that grabs me about a revenge. My favorite recent revenge story is John Wick. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, it's a classic. Uh, he just, I mean, it's just, it's, it's brutal. Keanu Reeves, like, he's this guy, and his wife dies, and her last gift to him is a dog. And she's like, take care of this dog the way you'd take care of me. And so he's doing that, and then uh, some Russian mobsters want his car or something, and he doesn't give it to them, and so they want to teach him a lesson because you don't mess with the mush- Russian mob. And so they trash his house, and they, they kill his dog. What they don't know is that John Wick is the greatest assassin who ever lived. And, uh, <laughs> and he's really upset about that dog. And boy, do they get it. And you're sitting there, and you're like, yeah. We definitely should kill all these people because a dog died. It's a very, it's very odd. It's an odd, like, I, I, I was, I'm watching this movie. I'm like, this is this, it's strange how this is affecting me, right? Um, well, David, uh, David has a different take. Or the Bible has a different take on what to do when someone kills your dog. And we're going to look at it today. So let's start, uh, if you have your uh, apps and you can... Pick up um, the, the text, or you have the your pew Bible. This is uh, loosely the common English Bible version. Um, I've changed a few things, but... So we're going to set the stage. Uh, Saul has tried to kill David a couple of times. Last week, David retreated to the caves, where he, like, he, he kind of gathered a group of misfits, and they're going to carry him through, but he's still on the run. And so we pick up the story. Saul is trying to get David. Even as Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he went out and had some battles. He's informed that David was in En Gedi wilderness. So Saul took 3,000 men, 3,000 selected from all Israel, and went to look for David and his 400 soldiers near the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens beside the road where there was a cave. Saul went into the cave to use the restroom. Literally, like, relieved himself. Uh, there's, a, there's a motif, especially in the Old Testament, when you want to say that someone's super vulnerable, uh, that, that you can take a good shot at them, they're usually on the toilet. I'm just telling you, I'm just the messenger, it's how the Bible works. All right. Meanwhile, David and his soldiers were sitting in the very back of the cave. His soldiers said to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he promised you, I will hand your enemy over to you, and you can do to him whatever you think best. So David snuck up and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Uh, we don't. There's no actual place in, in the in the Old Testament that where where God makes this promise to David. Um, I, I looked; it's not there. Uh, David is promised to be king; he's anointed. Um, but there's no place where uh, God says to him, "You know, the enemy is going to be delivered into your hands." Uh, this may be something that he heard along the way. We're not sure. Uh, but whatever the case, the fact that David sneaks up to go get the corner of Saul's robe, we're going to see that when he was sneaking up. His intention was not at the beginning to cut off the rope. His intention in the beginning was the intention that we would all have 
against someone who tried to kill us at least twice. This is a uh, dunk tank. They're awesome. Uh, when I was five years old, my dad was a, t- was a teacher at my school at Capistrano Valley Christian School before he came over to our friends at Stony Brook and took me with him. And there was this, uh, this day where it was like a, I don't know, it was like a carnival type thing. And so they had a dunk tank. And my dad was signed up for like a 30-minute, um, you know, slot in the dunk tank. I was five, and he, uh, he really wanted me to be a great baseball player. And so he was like, Tom, this is your chance to practice your throwing. You can throw and hit the, the target, and then you'll, you'll dunk me. So you can take out your dad and work on your baseball skills. Uh, he, he showed me how the whole thing works. It's a very cool contraption. Like, you go behind, and there's like a pressure plate, and there's like a latch, and it slips, and whatever. And, uh, and so I got up there, and I, I think I had like $10 worth of tickets or whatever. And so I, I spent all my money trying to dunk my dad. And the thing was, you know, that, that school was like K through 12. And so the line for throwing was pretty far back. And for a five-year-old in kindergarten, I, I, I just couldn't do it. I was falling short every single time. And I was getting frustrated. My dad, because he's such an awesome dude, started making fun of me. He was like, he's like what? what, are you weak? Come on, kid. I'm like, I'm five. <laughs> and he's like, well, you're not very good for five. I'm like, all right. So I got very upset, very angry. And so I did. He was hoping that my anger would fuel, like, you know, the fastball that would, like, you know, send him down and, and make me a, a dodger someday. That didn't happen. Uh, so I was just angry and crying, and so I ran away. <laughs> I ran away. And, uh, and, and then I thought, you know what? It's a good thing I know how this machine works. It's a good thing he showed me that. So I went back and I, and I went behind the thing. So he's sitting there. He's like on a break or no one's throwing. And I just yanked the thing. It was even better because he didn't see it coming, right? He wasn't prepared at all. I was like, yes, this is awesome. Anyone who tells you that revenge doesn't feel good is a liar. It feels great. Uh, and then I remember him standing up. He's looking around. And I'm like, oh, snap, I'm out of here. So I'm taking off. And he's like, Thomas Andrew Bennett, you're in trouble. And, and so I spent the rest of the, the carnival day hiding in a corner, afraid, afraid of the wrath of my father, assuming, assuming that he was going to escalate, you know? Like he made fun of me. I was like, that's not going to work. So I attacked him, you know, and I figured he was going to come and give me a whooping, you know? That's the funny thing about re- retaliation, vengeance, right? Is it's, it's, it's never like, it never stops. You notice this? It's like when you, when you take somebody out, like their friends or whatever are going to come back and get you. Um, you may have seen, you may have read or seen many of the interpretations of Romeo and Juliet. People think this is the uh, 1968 with Olivia Hussey. Uh, this is, I think, the, the, the classic version. At any rate, uh, everyone thinks that Romeo and Juliet is a story about two star-crossed lovers, but it's really not. It's a story about what happens when people are bent on revenge, right? The Montagues and the Capulets, you know, the first, this guy insulted me, so I got to slap his friend across the face. You can't slap me across the face. I challenge you to a duel. You stabbed me. Well, I can't stand being stabbed. I'm going to stab you back. You killed my brother, my friend, my cousin. I'm going to kill all of you. It just keeps ramping up. Because no slight can be left unreturned. And, and the story is tragic because Romeo and Juliet are like, we just want to get married and start a family. But they can't because they're caught up 
in a family system of cycles of retaliation. And it's not like these are unjust. It's not like these things don't come out of anywhere. They don't come out of nowhere, right? They come from a, a genuine place of offense, of being, you know, my dad, God bless him, he was kind of mean that day. You know, he apologized later, and I love him to death, but, you know, he, he was a little bit, like, you know, and so he kind of deserved it. And yeah, when, you know, is it Tybalt who gets killed or he kills somebody, uh, one of the Capulets or whatever, like when that happens in Romeo and Juliet, there's a, there's a sense in which, well, yeah, I mean, if you get challenged to a duel, you've got to fight, right? That's the first thing you know, she's vengeance um, and revenge, the thirst for it, it's born from a thirst for justice. It actually comes from a good place, right? Like David's sitting there and this guy's like trying to kill him. Like, what, are we not allowed to defend ourselves anymore? Like, what? Like, there, there's, a, there's a sense in which his, his soldiers are looking at him being like, man, I can't believe this guy's done all this to you. So David, he, he goes, he sneaks up, he cuts a corner off the robe, and he brings it back. And so he's looking at his men. He's, this is what he says. He, he comes back. Immediately, he, oh, that's right, he feels horrible that he'd cut off a, a corner of Saul's robe. Literally, it's like his heart was stricken or, or pierced. Um, and I think what's going on there is, is, is David's intent was not to cut off the robe. He was going to get vengeance. He was going to kill the guy who tried to kill him. And then at that moment when he's sitting there and he's got the knife, I mean, he's right behind Saul. Saul's robe is, is there, but Saul's on the, on the privy. And, and David's right about to slice his, 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 his throat up. And he's like, Ugh. So he, so instead he like he takes that and, and runs away. And as soon as he does it, his heart is pierced. The Lord forbid, he told his men, that I should do something like that to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him because he's the Lord's anointed. So David held his soldiers in check. You can also read it as rebuke or or sat them down. Um, by what he said, and he wouldn't allow them to attack Saul. Saul then finishes and leaves and goes on his way. If you're uh, familiar with the Old Testament, you know that anointed um, is the, the word Mashiach, uh, Mashiach, which we get Messiah from. Messiah. Um, and and when, as Christians, we tend to think of Messiah as Jesus, right? He's the one who, he, he's, he's been appointed by God to come and save the world. Well, the Messiah, or the anointed one, is always in Israel's history the one who's responsible for us. He's the one that's responsible for uh, God's people. And God chose him. He was literally anointed with oil, right? Like, like Samuel the prophet anointed Saul. He, he, he gave him this task, this mission. I have a picture here of John Winthrop. Um, he was the first governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony, um, or at least the most famous. When he was coming over uh, from England to Massachusetts, he wrote uh, a famous um, treatise. And one of the things on, the, on this treatise was he was, like, he was like, God has sent us, these Puritans, on a mission to come to the New World or, or America, whatever, and we're going to set up a town, a city-state, and it's going, to be, um, it's going to be a light on a hill. 
And what he meant by that, he, he was saying that all the world, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's other colonists, even, um, even the British or the French, whomever, whomever's around, they're going to look at Massachusetts and they're going to see that this place was instituted by God. And the way that they're, we're governing ourselves and the way that we're living in unity, in peace, um, and, and, and before God is going to be, it's going to be a, a light to the world. Everyone's going to want to say, wow, that, this God that, that the, the, the Puritans in Massachusetts Bay are worshiping is a good God and we want to be a part of that. You know, maybe before we believed this, that, or the other thing about God, but now we can see the truth is being lived out. Well, John Winthrop didn't invent that. That wasn't like a, a novel thing that he, he came up with. In fact, he was just imitating exactly what the Old Testament says about Israel. The Old Testament says that God chose Israel, chose the people of Israel to be a light to the nations. Right? To be, to be the city, the, the, this country that, that obeys God's laws in contrast to the, the, all the pagans around them who practice things like child sacrifice and you know, all, all kinds of horrible r- ritual, sexual stuff, gross stuff. We're going to be living this way and everyone's going to look at us and be like, wow, they're worshiping the right, the true God. Look at what their community looks like. Well, David, he, he's the one who, who, who sees this clearly, right? He's like, Saul is not a good dude. But, if I slit his throat, what's going to happen? Nothing? Everyone's going to be like, oh, David, good job murdering the king. Oh no, what's going to happen is a civil war. It's already brewing, right? What's going to happen is the people of Israel are going to be like, wow, someone just assassinated the king, and uh, we think we like this guy, but there's a lot of people who are really loyal to, to Saul, and they're going to start retaliating. They're going to say, oh, David, you want to kill the king? We're going to kill you. And then David's people are going to be like, no, you're not. And if that happens, what happens to Israel's mission? The, the Philistines who they've been fighting are like, uh-huh, you're different from us, how? Oh, you're obsessed with, you know, gaining power and, 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 and that sort of thing too? Oh, all right, well, sounds like your God's not that much different than ours. If Israel's going to continue to be a city on a hill, David says, I I, I have to let this go. Because I don't want to be interrupting or or going against the thing that God has ordained. God set this up. And if I do that, I know it's going to cause massive division and it's going to destroy the mission for which Israel was created. In our present context, a similar thing exists here in the church. God has ordained this church, Coast Bible Church, to defend Bible, grace, and family. Those are our three core values. We study scripture, we preach a gospel of grace, and we emphasize the importance of being together as a a united community, an, an integrated community, a family. If we start... Yeah, because we don't do duels anymore. So it's different now. Uh, we live in a, we'll actually talk about why that is, but uh, we don't live in a, in a culture where it's like, you know, if I insult Scott, which I do frequently, he's not going to like try to shoot me. 
which is awesome. I think that's great. Uh, and so I'm, I feel free in some ways to take shots at all of y'all because I'm not really afraid of what you're going to do back to me because we live in other places. But, but, but if I start being truly critical, maybe how do we do it? How do, we, don't do, uh, we don't do duels anymore, Parker. Instead, we talk about people behind their back. We undermine them. You wouldn't do that. You're, you have a heart of gold. I just love you so much. But, Parker, there are people here who sometimes feel like they've been slighted. Sometimes they feel like, oh, you didn't you treat my kids the way that they should be treated. Okay? Uh, oh, you know, you, you've gotten too much, uh, you know, attention, and, and I should begin. And what they might do over time is they might begin, you know, whispering behind each other's backs. Just, you know, planting a few seeds here and there. They might catch them doing something really bad and then publicize it, right? Really, really get them out there. And as soon as that happens, man, what we have here, which is a really beautiful thing, you need to understand how beautiful it is. You don't know because you're young, but it's a beautiful thing we have here where we really do look out for each other and we really do hold the line and we really are united in our desire to see God's glory uh, made known to the world. And, and, and man... If we start doing that, we're going to start dividing it. Man, let's slip, uh, skip the next slide. Let's go straight to the, uh, the next point in the, in the um, note sheets. Vengeance divides the community that God has established. That's the problem with retaliation. It, it, David understands if he gets his vengeance now, it's going to destroy or it's going to divide um, Israel in a way that, that, that makes it no longer able to do what it's supposed to do. And similarly, when we divide against each other, when we start retaliating against all the little things that we do to each other, we end up losing our witness. People come and they look at us and they're like, no thanks. Those Christians, man. Notice, however... Notice, however, that David, this is something that David, the reason David doesn't kill Saul, it's not because he thinks that in general we shouldn't retaliate. David's still actually a soldier. He's going to rack up a whole bunch of Philistine scalps before he's done. He feels like when, he's, when, when it's Israel, when it's the community of God versus other people, he doesn't really have a problem with, like, you know, coming back and attacking and winning. It's really the, the people of God where he, he, gets, he gets bunched up on it. And so what's he going to do? What, what's, is, is David just going to keep letting Saul abuse him? Is this going to be an endless cycle of abuse where, where, oh, we just don't fight back, and so people victimize us, right? They abuse us. That's what happens a lot of times in our personal lives and in the, in the church. If we, if we just take it, they'll just keep coming after us, right? And then how do we, how do we get justice? Well, listen to David. This is great. Uh, David went out of the cave and yelled after, this, after Saul. And what does he say? My master, the king. Wow. Saul looked back. David bows low, nose to the ground, respect. Said to Saul, why do you listen when people say David wants to ruin you? Look, today your own eyes have seen that the Lord handed you over to me in the cave, but I refused to kill you. I spared you, saying I won't lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. David's going to really lay it on thick. He goes on. He says this. Look here, my father. You know, Av, uh, the, the Hebrew for, for dad, right? 
Like, uh, and it could be that um, he's appealing to Saul because Saul is now his father-in-law because uh, he married one or two or of his daughters or something. But it also, I think, is, is just him, you know, using intimate familial language and saying, we're on the same team, bro. We're not, we're, we shouldn't be opposed to each other. We should be opposed to the Philistines and these psychopaths who run these crazy, you know, religions outside. We're, we have, we're, we're supposed to be one. We're family. See the corner of your robe in my hand? I cut that corner off your robe but didn't kill you. So know now that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I haven't wronged you. But you are hunting me down, trying to kill me. And this is the money line. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord take vengeance on you for me. But I won't lift a hand against you. That's tough. You can see right here, David David wants vengeance. David's not like lovey-dovey about his relationship to Saul. But he doesn't think it's for him to hand out. This is Robert Peel. Robert Peel was a uh, British, I think he was like a prime minister or something in the 1800s a couple times. He's a politician. He, uh, he, he's most famous now uh, for being the father of policing, of all things. On the right there, does anyone know what uh, you call a police officer in London? A Bobby, right? And that comes from Robert Peel, Robert Bob Peel, Bobby. So they're, they're named after this dude. He, uh, he was a big fan of criminal justice reform, and so he formed the very first uh, modern police force. Uh, and... and Policing has become so so terribly uh, political of late, and I, I totally get the reasons for it. Um, but it's weird, though, that we as a as a, as a culture we we have no we, we have literally no experience of what life was like before there were cops. Like even in places where we would say the police are probably super corrupt, like when we go down to Haiti, we still understand like that they do keep basic law and order. Um, and for the most part, and, and, and we understand, like, we, we can't really even conceive of life outside of that. Do you know one of the most important reasons that Robert Peel wanted to have a police force? Real question. I'm sorry? To protect, uh, the, to protect the, the townsfolk. Yes, that's good. That's one of the very important reasons. Uh, but it's not probably the most important. This is interesting. You know what it is? He wanted to protect the criminals. You see, because in, in the world before cops, uh, what would happen is, like, so I'm, you know, I'm hanging out on my farm, and, like, some guy comes and steals my horse. Well, what am I going to do? Can't call Lou. So instead, I get all my buddies, like, hey, let's go string up a horse thief, huh? And so we chase the guy down, we string him up, we just kill him. Is that really a, a hanging offense? Stealing a horse? Uh, maybe, I, I don't know. I, um, one of the things that Peel was concerned about is, is that vigilante justice was the law of the day. And it always had been in, throughout history. The vast majority of interactions between people and the law and justice was like people taking into their own hands. 
I mean, you saw Time to Kill, right? That John Grisham book they turned into a movie where a guy's daughter gets sexually assaulted. And he's like, no way am I going to let uh, the, the courts decide this. And so he takes a shotgun and blows the guy away. Because he's, he, he don't, law, law and order, I'm going to take that into my own hands. I know what's just. I'm going to go do it. Well, Peel was concerned because he felt like there was a whole bunch of criminals who were getting the death sentence when what they really needed was, you know, like some, to be reformed, to be transformed. Another major reason why he instituted uh, the, the idea of a police force was to, to protect uh, not just the community, but the, to protect people from having blood on their hands. Like, that guy steals your horse, you get a whole bunch of dudes together, and you go, you hang him. Now you have to live the rest of your life knowing you're, you're a killer. And so he said, well, if we had a neutral force of people who will just neutrally apply uh, the law, they can, they'll be responsible. They'll be the ones who shoulder the burden of apprehending criminals and bringing them to justice. We can remove it from the normal folks. Normal folks no longer have to take on this responsibility. Do you know where Robert Peel got that idea from? From the Bible. From David. What does David say? He's like, David's like, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not qualified to decide what happens to you. And, and I don't know what the consequences would be if I retaliate in kind to the way that you've been coming after me. I, I, as, 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 it's above my pay grade. David's a soldier. He's just a guy. He's good on guitar. He has, he's really handsome with red hair. He's, he's just, he doesn't, he's not... He's not like some, he's not like a superhero. He's just a guy. And he's like, this, this isn't, I, I, this is too big for me. And so he says, I know that Saul's done wrong, but I'm going to send this over to the cops. I'm going to let God be responsible for this. Let God police his own people. In our current context, what that means is that when we're in conflict with each other, one way that we can respond, instead of retaliating in kind, you know, undermining, backbiting, and, you know, just fomenting division, one way we can respond instead is to say, it's not my job. God, it's your job. And practically, what that means is that we, we, at least at Coast Bible Church, we have a board of elders, right? So if there's people who are, if you step back, you say, God, you do you. You, you, you take care of this. Well, and then it becomes the responsibility of, of the, the people that God's put in place to take care of the problem. So next thing you know, she's know your role. Let God sort it out. And this, this actually, it's, it's shocking how uh, this actually works. Um, for David, in just a couple of chapters, uh, Saul's going to be uh, fighting a battle against the Philistines. He's losing. He's afraid of getting captured, and so he commits suicide. And so when David rises to power, it's not rising to power with blood on his hands. Instead, it's rising to power because God has ordained it.
And so I think if you look at the, across the Bible, like if you take the Bible as a whole, the ethic is something like this. When you're a part of a community of faith, you know, maybe you're a part of uh, the, the community of parents at Stony Brook, or you're a part of this church, um, or you're a part of a small group, or whatever it is. When you're a part of a community of faith, the, the, the goal is to not participate in cycles of retaliation. But the Bible does seem a little bit ambivalent about what happens to people outside the community of faith. David's ready to slaughter some Philistines. He doesn't care. But there is, in Scripture, a more radical way. Just as Saul was the anointed of God and then David became the anointed of God, ultimately Jesus Christ becomes the anointed of God. Christ meaning Messiah, anointed. Jesus the anointed. And Jesus, as part of his ministry, <clears throat> creates this, this super radical, super intense uh, teaching where he says, there's going to be some of you who uh, are really, you believe, you trust, and your faith defines you. Faith is who you are. And I have a challenge for you. My challenge for you is this. Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Retaliation. And that's in Old Testament law. But I say to you that you do not resist an evildoer. If someone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the left to them as well. This is a surefire way to get stomped on. We just have to, we have to call it what it is. Um, I, I do think that there is a certain kind of resistance in this. I'm, I preached on this some years back. You can check the archives. It's, it's on our website. Um, but the bottom line is, is that in practice, if someone outside in the world attacks you and you want to really put your faith on the line, Jesus calls you and says, take it and let God sort it out. And I can't guarantee you that it's going to work out great when you do this. You might not ever see God's justice meted out on somebody who takes advantage of you or abuses you. Um, and I certainly don't want anyone here to get into, <clears throat> excuse me, a cycle of abuse. Um, if, if someone's taking advantage of you, get away. But if you have the faith and the courage, Jesus says, end the cycle. Just put a stop to it. And it's easy to say that. It's easy to just say, oh, yeah, yeah, turn the other cheek. Yeah. Jesus practiced what he preached. And it cost him. It cost him being tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition by liars and cheats. But the good news is he's coming back and as the Lord of the world, he will judge the living and the dead. I got a friend. Um, just recently we were talking. He, uh, he doesn't go here, um, but a couple of years back, maybe three, four years back, um, his wife declared that uh, she was going to leave him. She was uh, living with another guy. Um, 
And uh, so we just knew each other randomly, and so he came to me. He wasn't really a church dude, but um, he came to me and was like, what do I do? And I was like, oh, my gosh. And so he's telling me a story, and it's horrible. And over the years, it's really pretty clear that, you know, she probably had some, you know, borderline personality disorder, maybe narcissism, something like that, um, and was living in a world of lies and uh, just, you know, very confused and manipulative person. Um, and, and, and he wanted to, to get back. You know, he wanted to say, how do I protect my family? How do I protect my kids? I'm like, look, man, I, bro, I, all I can tell you is that, uh, you know, as a pastor, like, you know, I, what I want is unity. I want these things. But if that's not possible, I mean, you need to, like, you know, get your kids, make sure they're safe, those types of things. Um, but I really don't know what to tell you about this situation other than this is horrible and we're in a, a spot of just absolute disaster. Um, and he's like, what's happening? She's lying about me to everybody, and um, including my kids, and my kids hate me now, and she's going to take them, um, and I've lost all my friends, uh, and, and I just, I don't know what to do. And I was like, dude, the first thing to do is get into church. Like, you know what? Just stop living this life like you can figure it out all on your own. Start getting embedded in a community of faith, people who can support you and, and know what's going on. And you know what? Get her to come along. She had nothing, wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and so he, uh, he got into a local church, um, not this one, but a local church, and started uh, doing Bible study, uh, got baptized, um, started just taking faith seriously in his life, you know? And, uh, and he read this passage, you know, Matthew 5. If someone slaps you, turn the other cheek. And so and he says, when he's talking to me, he's like, he's like I, I read that, and, and, I, and I felt like Jesus was telling me, to just radically not retaliate. To just be gracious and kind to everybody. To never say a bad word about her um, to anyone except for me. Because <laughs> like pastoral confidentiality. Which is why I'm telling you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and so he made this commitment, right? And... Uh, and he really, he stuck to it. Like, and I'm talking, friends, I'm telling you, if it were me, I'd have been like, no way. Lawyers, let's, let's just, you know, grind her down. I'm, I'm telling you, friends, this is, this is, it's so, it, 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 I can't even describe how crazy it was. But this dude had a word from the Lord. Jesus told him to do this. And so he went for it. He went all the way. And he just never, ever, and, and so she, she's just taking him to the, to the cleaners. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? He's like, all I need to do is make sure that I can uh, take care of my kids if they ever want to come back. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, brother. I, God bless you. you. This is radical faith, and I love that you're uh, doing this. But man, you, you're, this is, prayer is the only hope here. <laughs> and, uh, and just recently, you know, we hadn't talked in a while, and he, he, uh, he called me up, and he was like, he's like, dude, it's unbelievable. All the people that she lied to me about have seen the truth, and they've become my friends again. My kids that, he was, that she was manipulating, they, um, they've seen through it, and they want nothing to do with her because they're tired of her making them feel horrible about themselves when they don't pay her enough, enough attention. And so they're living with me now. And I know she took me to the cleaners, and the craziest thing happened. I, I don't know how it happened, but at work, I started getting these bonuses that I didn't even know were available and God has restored to me every single dollar that she took out of my pocket. And now, 
she's alone. And she's the one who's going to have to start looking inside and recognizing something's wrong. And I didn't lift a finger. Now, I can't guarantee that result for you. Um, That's, like I said, that's a radical act of God. And sometimes God does that, sometimes he doesn't. Um, But that, that, that witness, that testimony, you know, he... People now who had abandoned him come to him for advice and wisdom because they saw that he lived a way that was just radically insane by every one of our standards except for Jesus' standard. And you got to wonder, you got to wonder what would happen in this world if, man, we all started living that way. And if you've got the faith and you've got the courage and there is that, that someone or that group in your life that are, they're coming at you and they're hurting you. If you have that radical faith and you say, Jesus, this is your word to me, I'm going to turn the other cheek. I can't tell you what will happen, but I can tell you this. You will retain the credibility of the church. You will be a witness and a light to the world. Because the world's going to look at you and be like, you're nuts. But there's something about your peace, there's something about your hope, there's something about your love that I cannot explain apart from the reality of your Lord who called you to this. There comes a time when we don't fight back. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, um, we just thank you for the unity in this place. Uh, we thank you for um, our desire amongst the people here to, to love and not retaliate, to, to step outside of the cycles of, of, of violence and, and retaliation that have consumed the world. God, give us faith to know that, that you are the one who takes vengeance. You are the one who ultimately sets things right. Let us rest in that. And God, I pray that your spirit will move powerfully and that you'll give us that radical faith to trust you even uh, outside of this community and to live in a way that we just... We don't demand what's due, but instead lift our concerns to you, our, our desires for vengeance and justice to you, and, and step out and, and wait for you to act. And God, I pray for any person here who um, is, is battling uh, with being uh, abused, being attacked. Lord, uh, take, take them out of that situation. Get free, f- provide freedom, God, and, and then provide um, the willingness to, to just let it, let it go into your hands. And God, may people come and look at Coast and see, wow, say, wow, that's a, that's a church on a hill. That's a church that obeys a completely different ethic, a completely different upside-down radical way of not going tit for tat, but returning um, pain with love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.